for Thursday, March 15th. It is Market Foolery from Austin, Texas. We are wrapping up South by Southwest week. I'm Chris Hill. I'm very happy to be joined by Macy Mills. She is the head of business development at Game Influencer. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Excited off, to be here. You just got off the stage. It was a great breakout session entitled The Connected World of Sports and Esports. And this is this is an industry that uh, we've been watching very closely at the Motley Fool. And it's fascinating to sort of see the rise of esports. And let's just start with the big number. Uh, the promotion for this breakout session said by the year 2020, esports is going to be a $5 billion industry. Where is it right now, do you think, in terms of its value? Yeah, so we were uh, talking with the panelists right before we jumped on stage, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth on what the number actually is. But um, we're pretty sure it's around one billion dollars in 2017, uh, and it's just, it's just you know doubling and doubling and doubling. So um, definitely think that it's it's going to be over a billion dollars every year for the next five at least. So you were moderating the panel. There were two panelists who were very much in the world of esports. Uh, and then there was an executive from the Milwaukee Bucks um, NBA franchise uh, and talking about uh, the Milwaukee Bucks being sort of at the, the leading edge of the NBA's entree into esports. Um, I was uh, saying to Dan right before, right before we started taping, I laughed out loud during the session because uh, for the first time in my life, I heard what we consider to be traditional sports referred to repeatedly on the panel as offline sports. Right, correct. He see, uh, uh, the NBA executives, he seemed a little hurt by that. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I was misreading his body language, but I'd never heard the phrase offline sports before. Yeah, when I sent him the questions before, he didn't, he didn't uh, <laughs> say there was anything wrong with that, so we just went with offline sports. But I guess traditional sports is also a, a better way to call East, uh, regular sports. So, so, in terms of competitive threats, because one of the things that came up in the panel was not just the NBA starting to get involved in this, but also um, it sounds like Major League Baseball, the NHL, they're starting to get involved. Before we get it sort of into the nitty gritty of esports itself, I'm I'm always curious about any industry's competitive landscape. What is the big competition right now for esports? Is it is it other forms of entertainment? Because if you're Netflix, if you're Hulu, if you're HBO. Um, all of which have a presence here at South by Southwest this week. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you want people sitting and watching your content. You don't want people engaging in esports. Right. Yeah. I mean, I see it as an opportunity for a Netflix or a Hulu. I think it's a natural progression for them to at least someday get involved in, in esports and live streaming and things like that. Um, obviously, Twitch is taking the cake right now on the streaming side of things for esports. Uh, I mean, in general, I would say they're mostly competing against each other in terms of the games and the game publishers. So, you know, you have people who are diehard League of Legends fans and they're not watching Overwatch games, for example. Um, but I think it's really up to the game publishers. Um, to market their game, and once the game, you know, receives mass adoption, then that's when you really have the esports enthusiasts who are really interested in not only competing but also watching these titles and things like that. One of the things that came up on the panel discussion was about the money involved mm -hmm. and ownership, and part of the case that was being made by, uh, I think, all of the panelists was had to do with. The amount of money, if you're, if you own, uh, uh, I, one of the guys was saying that uh, the Kraft family, which owns the New England Patriots, um, they're 
uh, one of the investors in his company's skills. Right. Um, and uh, one of the panelists was making the point about how investment is a little easier to come by these days because these aren't franchises that are in the billions of dollars, and uh, it really behooves any pro sports owner to be looking at this industry. Let's talk about your area of, of expertise in this, and that has to do with the promotion and the marketing of this. Um, I'm assuming, as with the rise of esports and the rise of the audience of esports, the rise of uh, marketing dollars flowing into it mm -hmm. um, has has got to be. Well, I don't know what the exact numbers are. Maybe you can share at least some of them, but um, I have to believe they're going north. Yeah, I, I mean, so at Game Influencer, we're we're focused on influencer marketing for any type of game, whether that's a competitive, you know, esports game or a casual match three. And what we found really interesting is is we're actually learning from the esports industry. So one of the the best cases that we had was with a publisher, um, and the game was called Tiny Armies. And in Germany, we had four mobile uh, stars basically create their own clans within the game and really promote it on their YouTube channels. And then after two weeks of constantly promoting, they actually live streamed, and all four clans competed against each other. There was real life prizes involved. Uh, we saw these users were retained much better in the long term. Uh, so, you know, it's not only that people are coming to us to, you know, for example, work with an esports star. Um, we're actually learning things from esports as well that are helping us do our jobs better and influencer marketing. It seems like at the moment, even though esports is smaller than <laughs> Offline sports. <laughs> Again, it, it feels weird to say that out loud. But the, you know, esports smaller than offline sports. Um, it does seem like one advantage, though, is that connection with the fans because the fan base is very passionate and feels an even greater connection to the players involved because they're able to interact with them right. much more than they are with pick your favorite sport and pick your favorite player in right. that traditional offline sport, you're not going to have the same kind of relationship. Right, yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, right now, it's it's really easy to just ping your favorite, you know, star and write in their Twitch channel, even that, even if that's one, you know, note out of thousands of comments, they may respond, you may get to talk to them, you know, most of the time with Twitch, they're actually reading them and kind of responding while they're playing the game, which is pretty cool. And practicing. Like, you, exactly. can, watch, you can watch these people practice. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that's incredibly different, obviously, from traditional sports. Um, but I, I'll be interested to see kind of how it evolves as esports gets bigger and continues to double in size, will these uh, stars become as unaccessible as a LeBron James? Um, I don't know. You know, they may kind of stick with these, you know, being able to see them practice and understanding their strategies and things like that. But will it become um, too competitive to where they, they won't want to show their practices live streaming and things like that? I don't know. So it'll be very interesting to see kind of how this flows forward. What are a couple of numbers that the average investor out there who's interested in this industry, what what should we be watching for? Whether it's audience numbers, or or maybe it's not a number, maybe it's just um, a partnership or a deal of some sort. Uh, what what should we be watching for to get further indication of this? 
Right. I mean, I would say concurrent streamers on Twitch. I would say um, not even numbers, but for example, like where where is esports going to be shown other than Twitch? Like, is Netflix, is Hulu going to pick something like this up? Is it going to go on television or does that even matter at this point? Because, you know, people are less and less having cable in their home. Um, what we look at actually when we look at influencers is their uh, view counts. So subscribers don't matter as much to us because you could have someone as a subscriber who hasn't logged into YouTube for five years. So it's really about who's bringing in consistent viewers. Um, and then, you know, esports from there is someone who's getting really good at that game and getting picked up by a team. Uh, and yeah, then the rest is history. It's happily ever after for them. Uh, one of the points that was made towards the end of the discussion had to do with uh, geography and how mm -hmm. esports for as much and growing attention as it is getting in the United States is still not really the US isn't really leading the way on esports. Uh, uh, so where uh, is there a tipping point that Americans should be looking for in terms of the U.S. Uh, getting even more involved in this? Yeah, so I think um, Korea is really taking the charge here. Um, and in general, in the games industry, um, Asia is making up a lot of it. China is making up one-fourth of the revenue in the gaming industry overall. Um, so I think what's interesting for the U.S. is that we are set up for something like this, right? We have created the NFL. We have the NHL. We have the MLB, the NBA. So we have these opportunities for people like the Milwaukee Bucks to invest in esports teams and kind of create that the same function um, that they did with traditional sports. So, you know, I, I'm interested to see how we continue to evolve. Um, the U.S. in general learns pretty quickly, so I think that we've seen how well uh, Korea is doing this, and and we're trying to pick up on the trend and and you know continue to grow as well. Well, and obviously, younger people are uh, the dominant demographic in this. And we're starting to see it play out in colleges as well. I mean, one of the things you mentioned was your alma mater mm -hmm. is giving away esports scholarships. Exactly. Yeah. So I went to Miami of Ohio, and they have one of the best esports teams, and you know, in the U.S. And that's something that's happened maybe in the past two years or so. Um, but I'm always seeing postings about it and things like that. And I, I think that's really cool to see that kind of trickle down to the college level. And I think that will just continue to to trickle down. You know, whether that's elementary schools or or you know scholarships to the largest schools and things like that. So it'll be cool to kind of watch this evolve. I want to get to your background in a second, but one other thing that, that I was struck by during the discussion, and I, th I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm only half joking when I say this, uh, one of the things that got brought up was the prospect of cheating. Mm -hmm. And we've seen at various points in uh, offline sports uh, different scandals, whether it's performance-enhancing drugs or you know, uh, point-shaving or something like that. Am I wrong to think that actually it would be weirdly helpful for esports as an industry to have some sort of cheating scandal? Hmm. I don't because I, I, I think in some way for people who look at esports and and it makes no sense to them, uh, and I think there are still obviously many millions of people who who still are trying to wrap their heads around. Wait, what do you mean people are watch or are going to watch other people play a video right. game? Yeah. If nothing else, having a cheating scandal would at least make it more relatable. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a few already, but um, as we were talking about on the panel, some of them are due to human error, right? Like being able to see the screen that's behind you to be able to see where the other team is on the map in League of Legends. Uh, in Counter-Strike, there's actually a cheat where you can see uh, through walls, which is obviously a huge <laughs> advantage. <laughs> so things like that, um, you can catch really easily. What I'm interested in seeing in the future is these more s sophisticated cheats, you know, where they're somehow figuring out a way to, to hack the game to where they're, uh, you know, gaining more XP and things like that for, for actions in the game. I don't know. I, I assume that, you know, Valve and Blizzard and everyone have, have probably set it up so that it's pretty difficult to do that. But if they can look through walls, then I don't really know uh, how that's going to pan out. How did you get involved in this industry? Yeah, so actually I started because of my family. So in, into the gaming industry, I started um, four years ago now. Um, my, my family had a mobile games publisher company, so I worked for them out in San Francisco for three and a half years. I just fell in love. I went to a game developers conference um, four years ago, and it was just such a cool experience that I said, I'm working in the gaming industry. Like, this is it. I'm, I'm moving to gaming, and I'm staying there. And at some point, uh, you moved to Germany because Game Influencer is based in Germany. How did you get hooked up with Game Influencer? Yeah, so I had um, just created a business relationship with Georg Brockstermann, which is the CEO and founder of Game Influencer. And uh, in March of last year, I was looking for a new gig because I, you know, I'd been with HitSense for three and a half years. We launched our two main titles, NBA Life and the Godfather Family Dynasty, and it was just kind of time for me to try something new. And uh, Georg called me up and said, "How do you feel about moving to?" Germany and um, it was a it was a good opportunity and you know we had a little bit of influencer uh, activations going on at HitSense but I had no idea the depths at which I was going to learn influencer marketing and, and so it's been a really cool experience you know living in Munich the past nine months and getting to know the European gaming scene and influencer marketing as well. Do you have a favorite game right now or is gaming your job and therefore when you're looking to at the end of the day relax the last thing you want to do is play a game so i'm a mobile gamer so i do game um i would say battle cats right now is my favorite game it's a tower defense game on mobile super quirky super cute and it actually came about because they're one of our clients which is how i get hooked on a lot of mobile games as i play the game to check it out uh you know help them come up with their influencer strategy and then i'm like wait this is actually really cool and you know six hours later i'm <laughs> still playing the game so yeah battle cats that's for now, for sure. Macy Mills, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Oh, I recall the day when I lost on his own. Now there's so much space between me Something's wrong. I never felt that weak, and you've grown strong. I know you can go out there, find another man. I know it's a good about you, which I was afraid to ask you back then.
You can go 